to episode 14 of the Colorful Podcast, the Chicharito Edición. Uh, two men tonight, two men podcast. Me, Raúl. We have Rafa from. Where are you? What are, are you writing these days, Rafa? Everywhere. It's like, <laughs> you know, just give me something, I'll write on it. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mexican food is basically where where you find me most of the time. No bias here, but it's one of the better Mexican, one of the better Liga MX sites that actually covers Liga MX in English, because those are few and far between, because we all know how good Liga MX is at promoting things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it would be a dream job to, to write in English for Liga MX, but they're just very slow at, at picking things up. I think I heard at one point that they had a, they had like an, an app. For highlights and stuff, but it was you had to pay for them. Oh yeah, for uh, I think it's it is it's available for for most phones. But then and, like they 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 I guess they took down like they put up they put them up on YouTube for free, but then they still if you but you can still technically buy the app. Well, you know if if you actually check the 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 Twitter handle for the league, they've actually been showing highlights this past weekend. At least they did that. So maybe they're they're trying to change that a bit. Hopefully, because I think there's like a huge, uh, it's a huge market. I've had people, like, on, I don't know if you guys jump on Reddit, but people are like, oh, I saw the Liga, I saw the Chivas Club America, it's pretty fun. I should pick a, a team. Is there any research, is there anywhere I can look at some highlights or like some stuff? And like, Reddit's like, uh, unless you speak Spanish. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite difficult. And it's not just English speaking people. I mean, English is, is a language most of the world can understand English, but uh, it's not just American people or people in the United States. There's there's a lot of people in Europe who are interested in. Yeah, they the have power no, of Enac, right? They have no medium to, to actually uh, take a look at, at Liga Magazine in a language they can understand. But hopefully, maybe in the future, we'll, we'll see that change. It's like the Liga MX is kind of leaving it up to the teams to do it. You know, like we got Santos doing it, and now other teams, Cholos, are doing it with English language accounts on Twitter, at least. Yeah. Uh, that's a step forward towards the right direction, I think. Yeah. All right, but enough of Liga MX's marketing shortcomings. Um, by the way, the Club America Chivas game was the highest rated club game since 2010 in America. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I didn't know that one, actually. Yeah, so... And people were on Twitter hitting me up saying it would have been higher if AT&T U-verse was in a <laughs> fight <laughs> Probably, with Univision. Yeah. So. Probably. Some guy was like, tweeting at me. He's like, yeah, that doesn't even count my illegal streams. <laughs> He's right. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, go back to the big news today. The big news being... The big news being... Uh, um, uh, hold on a second. Alexa, stop. It's funny. So I got one of those, uh, one of those Amazon Echoes, <laughs> and if it if it thinks you say the word Alexa, it just starts reading or starts starts talking to you. So this thing started reading me the news. Anyways, um, yeah, Mexico. Juan Carlos Osorio finally releases twenty four man roster, and it was interesting. Reactions were kind of nothing too crazy, but. What are your thoughts on the roster, Rafa? I liked it, to be honest. Uh, it's one of the better 
rosters I've seen from a manager in quite a while. Uh, there aren't many complaints in my part. Uh, obviously, the absentees that are there, yeah, that they are missing, uh, are missing for a reason. We all know the drama behind Carlos Vela. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos is injured. Uh, uh, real quick on Carlos Vela, I heard he got fined 100,000 euros. Yep. So. Uh, he, if nobody, if you haven't heard the story of Carlos Vela, basically, you just missed training to, to go to a Chris Brown concert, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> there was rumors that he faked a, a stomach, uh, a disease, or, you know, stomach disease. He was, had stomach problems or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I, I really like I don't like to t- talk about stuff like that because that's absolutely nothing to do with the game. But, yeah, unfortunately, that's what happened with Carlos Vela. But, basically, uh, maybe a lot of people think that that's the reason he's not on this list. Uh, but along with Carlos Bella missing, there's no Jonathan Dos Santos, who we know is injured. Uh, Gallo Vasquez, who is, has had some up and downs this season, but he's also uh, been troubling to get uh, to that 100% fitness. Uh, maybe he would have been there, maybe not, uh, but he's, he's not this time around. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos is not there. Obviously, he's injured as well. I don't think it, last time, last I checked, uh, he, it's not very serious. He might miss this weekend, but he might be back. I think uh, Bruce Arena said he's out this weekend. Yeah, he might be out this weekend, but uh, it's it's not something very severe. It might be just a small muscle injury. But other, other than that, I like this team. The only question mark I have uh, is Yasser Corona. Oh, I, man, I mean, don't even, oh. He's not starting with Querétaro, and, and he's in this team. But we know how Osorio is when it comes to to having left-footed players there. So uh, maybe that's the reason Cordona's there. But that would be my only question, Mark. I think the other player I missed was Guillermo Choa, but, you know, Memo just recently. Yeah, and these invites, like, went out to the teams, like, two weeks ago. Yeah, like so... Like, ten days ago. So ten days ago, Memo was still on the bench, so... But, you know, I like it. I I can't complain. And honestly, I'd rather just leave Memo at uh, Malaga during training. Yeah. Why you're, not? You're, you're completely right. It, you, you can see it as a glass half full thing. Uh, he's going to have the chance to train with with his defensive line that he has. Well, he has to build chemistry because he hasn't started with them. <laughs> but And they're not it, scoring it, many, go- many goals. Yeah, so you can see it that way. Uh, but... If we're talking about the goalkeeper, Talavera, we know is, is just an absolute stutter uh, as a goalkeeper. Corona makes his return. And Picolin, who didn't get a chance at this past friendly against Senegal, but, but he's there. So uh, good for him. Who He's had a, a pretty good season this uh, for Pumas this season. And people were saying, oh, why is he there? I mean, he's the third goalkeeper. So let's not, let's not act like he's going to start over Talavera, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I think uh, as Moises Munoz ha, has gone down, he has his issues with with Club America at the moment. But uh, the the backup positions, the uh, second string and third string to Talavera, it's gonna be interesting to see how that unfolds. Now that Ochoa is getting some playing time with Picolin playing so well and, and Corona back in the picture, so uh, that's that's something to to look forward to. See how how that goalkeeper situation uh, unfolds as as we get closer to. 
I mean, as we get closer to the Copa America and oh, the yeah, America. and the Olympics, we'll get to yep. the Olympic squad later. But you never know; one of these guys might drop down and become like Corona was in 2012 for the team. Yeah, and there's youngsters like Gudino pushing, pushing forward as well. Yep. Uh, moving on to the defense, um, rock solid. You know, other than Corona, I would not have a problem with anyone else starting. Yeah, me either. Uh, I think this is the best of the best we have. Uh, Paul Aguilar is is there uh, for the first time because he's, he apparently always gets injured when, uh, when Juan so Carlos early. is There's still one game to be played, so let's yeah. wait. <laughs> Let, let's wait and see. But Paul Aguilar, unfortunately, just never has hasn't had the chance to work with Osorio just yet. Uh, Moreno's there. We know just how great he's he's been playing for PSV. Uh, Diego Reyes, who who's listed as a defender, but it's been playing as a defensive midfielder for, for Real Sociedad. Uh, obviously, I think uh, Osorio looks at him at, more as a, cent- as a center back at this moment. Uh, there's Layun, who we all know the phenomenal season he's having with Porto. Uh, Rafa Marquez makes his return. Uh, he's been struggling a bit, but uh, we know he, he's always up for it every time he, he, he puts on the Mexico jersey. Uh, again, just to repeat ourselves, Yasser Corona is, is the only question mark. I would have liked to have not have Corona and just bring up uh, Torres Nilo. Well, you know, the, well, Torres Nilo got injured this this past Again? weekend. I'm not sure. Oh my God. I'm not sure if that was the reason. Uh, the other player who who we saw last time was Luis Fuentes from Pumas, uh, but he's he's actually playing for for Pumas in the Copa Libertadores uh, tonight. I don't know if, if that was one of the reasons because he picked up this scary injury. I'm not sure. It was all over Twitter. Uh, he sort of dislocated his shoulder. I'm not sure. It, it ended up not being that severe. So maybe that was the reason he wasn't called up uh, because at first glance, there, there are no no left backs aside from, from Layun in this team. Yeah. So uh, I, I really don't know. Well, if, uh, one thing to keep in mind uh... – Hector Moreno actually played left back for PSV left, for about a month and a month or a month and a half. But I don't know if I can see Moreno as a left back. No, no, no. But honest. just saying, emergency. Yeah. Uh, so that that's one thing that that, that first glance uh, I thought was interesting. Uh, but I think another player I would have liked to see, but like to have seen, but is also injured. Uh, Israel Jimenez from Tigres, who who yeah. did quite well. Uh, against Senegal in last month's friendly, he's not there, but but he's been struggling with injuries as of late. Uh, but the defense is solid. Uh, I don't expect Canada to 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 press forward too much and try to cause uh, problems to our defensive line because Canada's just a team that really likes to sit back. Uh, so I think that's one aspect that we shouldn't be very worried about. But the only thing it, that worries me is if if Aguilar and Layun get caught out of position. Yeah, because they like to bomb, <laughs> like to bomb yeah. down those sidelines. Yeah, but I think uh, Osorio is not the kind of manager who really likes to see his his fullbacks push forward as often. So I I, I don't see it too, if I'm being honest with you, but. But it's definitely a tool they can use, especially against a team like Canada, who we suppose is just going to sit back on both games. Yeah, uh, they're going to sit back. I, I, I know they sold out. They sold close to 40, 
46, 47,000 tickets for next Friday's game, but <laughs> well, like, what, what did uh, Luka Modric say to Mexico, to Memo Chua, that Manzuka just scored on better goalies? Well, Mexico has played scarier places <laughs> than than BC plays in Vancouver. No, you're, you're right, but uh, obviously the, the, the stadium will play its role as well, but yeah. uh, it's it's one of more, the more favorable settings you, you want to get uh, when it comes to CONCACAF. Uh, and that's why there's absolutely no excuse for, for Mexico not to get something out of these two games, or at least basically just be qualified already to. And to I think that, that was, wasn't that one of the goals this year for the Federation to go undefeated in uh, in this fourth round of World Cup qualifying? Yeah, I, I think that's what they had it down as. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the midfielders, we have... Hector Herrera, who's the captain now of Porto, just pretty much he's the captain. Um, Pineda from Chivas, Jesus Molina from Santos, Marco Fabian from Frankfurt, Rodolfo Pizarro listed as a midfielder, and that uh, Guardado guy from PSV. That Guardado guy from PSV. Yeah, uh, again, this this is a very solid midfield. Uh, spoke a little bit about uh, Gallo Vasquez not being there. Uh, but I think with Jesus Molina in there, he's just a really solid defensive midfielder. Uh, he impressed during that meaningless friendly against Senegal. Um, but he's there. He he can play that role quite well. And let's not forget Guardado can play that role, that, that defensive midfielder role. He's, he's been playing quite well with PSV. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. That Diego guy, Diego Reyes. Yeah, Diego Reyes, yeah. So there's op- there's plenty of options in this team. In, in I, I brought that up when I said you know Diego Reyes in midfield gives uh gives um Orsorio another option and someone's like oh no he's not gonna start over our midfield I'm like well he wouldn't start but you never know what happens someone gets a yeah. red card someone gets hurt they're trying to w- bunker down the game it's nice to have to be able to move Reyes around if he, you know he can start the game at center back but he can move up to midfield or depending on the formation you know he gives. He gives all sorts of options, and we all know he likes to tinker. Yeah, there, there's plenty of options in this team. There's, uh, we can even talk about a, a guy like Rolofo Pizarro, who, who can basically play any position in the midfield. And uh, as a fullback, he can play left back, right back, uh, anywhere in, in the center of the midfield, even as a winger maybe. If he'll be up for it. Uh, so Pizarro is the perfect utility man there. Uh, we see a return of Marco Fafian. I think it's it's no fault of his own that his team is struggling, but uh, and I will say this: as someone who's probably watched as much of that team since he got there, like I've watched the, I've even watched those friendlies streamed on YouTube. <laughs> like, there, there's nothing wrong with him on that yeah, team. Yeah. Like, they, they, he is the engine of that team. As soon as they get the ball, he tries to create everything. He doesn't force anything. And I know there was issues about oh, he doesn't work hard enough. Every single game I've watched, because if you go to the Bundesliga's website, you can track who runs the most. He's always number one or number two on his team, yeah, sprinting he, everywhere. He's actually played. He's been the better of the players. Personally, I've seen it as well. Uh, he's the better of the players for Frankfurt. Again, it's no fault of his own that his team is just basically struggling to uh, to stay in, in the top tier uh, of Germany. Uh, but it, it's good to see him back. I, I think... He he's an interesting player. He can play that that creative midfielder role that or that attacking midfielder role that uh, that uh, that Osorio likes. If, if that's one option, and he can play uh, everywhere, left, right, middle. Yeah, 
he, he's he's a really good player as well. Uh, it's, it's just really good to, to see him back. Uh, I think the the big one here is the other big one we should talk about is is Orbelin Pineda. Were you surprised? I, I was surprised to be honest. I mean, uh, I kind of expected him for the U twenty three squad. I, I I did as well. Actually, I'm completely surprised he, he was called up for the senior team, but Osorio must really like this guy. Uh, I mean, you can't really blame him. I, I think Orbelín Pineda is one of the brightest prospects Mexico has at, at this moment. Uh, he's he's a guy who, who sort of evolved a bit uh, under Chivas. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because prior to, to last season where he had, an, let's be honest, he had an average season for, for Querétaro. But let's uh, not forget, how old was he last season? Was it 18, 19? Yeah, I think he just turned 19, so he was, yeah. I think he was 18 last year, so. Yeah. Uh, last season. But that I think it was that one season um, where Bucetich took over. It might have been that one. Uh, he was just phenomenal. And for a guy that young to, to play such a big role on on a team like Iretaro, uh, it, it, it was noteworthy. Uh, I, I mean, I thought this guy was just really, really good. Now, he did that playing sort of this interesting role almost behind the, the, the main striker. Uh, I think at, at some point he, he was even listed as a forward. Uh, but the, the amount of running this guy did, the, the amount of space he covered, it, it was just sensational. Now, now moving forward, he, he's at Chivas and he's playing more of that uh, central midfield role. Uh, he, does, he, he sort of performs the same things. He, he just runs everywhere. He, uh, he does so many things on the field. Uh, but he's playing a deeper role, yeah. And, and that's and that's interesting because I really he has to choose. I mean, this is a player who who's still only nineteen. He, he he's still maturing, uh, so eventually he's going to have to choose. Either he's he's going to play uh, very. I mean, there's absolutely no no chance. I think Matias Almeida plays him as a forward again. So it's it's interesting what Juan Carlos Osorio has planned for him. What kind of role he has uh, in plan for for a guy like Orbelín Pineda? Because there's a reason he brought him in. This is a guy who hasn't been open in the Cubs for the past U23 uh, training camps. But we know uh, why, though. Well, Chivas I think, didn't let him. Yeah, Chivas let, didn't let him. And that that uh, this, that was one of the big reasons why I was disappointed because I, I I knew I knew Osorio wanted to see him for that Senegal friendly. And let's let's not forget, Orbelín Pineda did have some. Discipline issues when at at this past World Cup, our you know just again more Carlos Vela stuff, but uh, I blame maybe, uh, Ronaldinho for that one. <laughs> Ronaldinho rubbed off on him at Querétaro. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe that was one reason he wasn't part uh, automatically. I think there was one call up right after where he wasn't in it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, but the point is that Juan Carlos Soria must really like this guy. I mean, this guy's only 19 and He's already here, so um, it'll be really interesting. First off, if he even gets playing time, because uh, we know that Mexico's just stacked in the midfield with Guardado, Herrera, and yeah. uh, Molina probably starting, uh, and Marco Fabian, who we just talked about. So it'll be interesting if he even gets playing time, and if he does, what role he plays, because, again, this is a guy who, who can play those two positions that I mentioned, and he has to choose. I mean... One one comparison I made. Somebody asked me what I thought about Orbelín Pineda. I thought he he looked a lot like Arturo Vidal. 
this is a guy who who knows his qualities, who is known as this small engine on the midfield, uh, who can just disrupt play, create play. I mean, he has so much potential. This guy, uh, I think I spoke to you outside the podcast. I told you this guy was from Argentina or Brazil. He could easily be me being scouted by by uh, European teams. Now, of course, Chivas paid big money for him, uh, and he's probably not going to go to Europe anytime soon. Uh, but or at least not within the next year or so. But this guy is just oozes in potential, uh, and I'm really excited to see what, what Osorio does with this guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you to put it in perspective, I think he would still be eligible for the 2020 Olympics. <laughs> yeah. So, like, right, yeah. Because he, he turns 20 in a week, a week from today. He turns 20 the day before we play Canada next Friday. So, okay. but yeah, just to put in perspective how young he is, he's eligible for the next Olympics. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's see. Moving on to the forwards. And, I I mean, they, they have Chucky Lozano and Ramirez and Conejito and Aquino and Tecatito all listed as forwards. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, are they going to be true forwards? I don't know. This almost screams like, hey, we're going to run a 4-3-3. Yeah, if, if we consider wingers forwards, it's probably accurate. Uh, Isai Brizuela makes his return after not being there for a while. Yeah, I, I, I've been talking about this for a while now. Like, what ha- when it was, I was all excited when he went to Chivas, and then he just fell off the face of the earth. No, I think my main concern with Brizuela is he's such a talented player, but he tends to disappear in games. Yeah, he, yep. it's he gives us really strong. 20, 30 minutes, and then he just sort of dozes off, and nobody knows where he is. I mean, uh, isn't that kind of similar to the, used to be the rap on uh, Fabian? Yeah, you're right. Same Maybe thing. it's a Chivas thing. <laughs> like you, like Mar- Marco Fabian used to like be the ultimate let the game come to him kind of guy. Whereas now you see Fabian, and he drops back to between the defense and the midfield. To, and when, in Germany now, he drops back to get the ball, and he dribbles, but he. He comes to find the ball, and I think Conejito's not there yet. He, if he especially, especially if he plays a wing position, he stays there. It's but, almost like he's waiting for Gullet or Pineda to pass him the ball. Yeah, that's exactly what Brizuela is. But I mean, there's so many options on the wing. There's Lozano. There's uh, Aquino, Tecatito. We all know. I, I mean. If he if Osorio wants, he can even play Raul Jimenez on that right, like he like he did against Honduras, like like uh, Tuca did against the U.S. So there's plenty of options here as well. Uh, I think the the main takeaway from this team is uh, these players can play almost anywhere you uh, you put them. I mean, uh, there's just so much talent and players who can just play multiple positions, and I think that's what Osorio likes, uh, and that. That's not just important in qualifiers. If we're thinking down the line, Copa America, World Cup, that's extremely important because you only have 23 players, uh, and you have to bring the most out of those 23 players. If a guy can play two, three positions, then that's great because, again, like you said, you don't know what can happen. Maybe a guy gets a red card. uh, He's suspended for the next game. Uh, You can probably play a guy from... We know is maybe as as a center back we can play him as a defensive midfielder this time around. Uh, 
uh, it's extremely important. Uh, and I think Juan Carlos Osorio is trying to build something like that. Again, it's still early and just notable absentees, like we mentioned, with Carlos Vela, Jonathan Dos Santos, even a guy like Israel Jimenez who, who can play as a defensive midfielder if you ask him to. So th- this is the start of a really nice project, and I'm excited. I think people should be excited. Um, I, I don't think the Canada games will all reflect just how good this team can be, but uh, it, it's a step-by-step procedure, and and for now, I think again we should be excited for this. I know you say that those things, are, those two games, aren't going to be a big test for Mexico, the, the two can, the back-to-back Canada games, but I think it's like the perfect example of what uh, Osorio can do because these are like the these are like the typical games where Mexico it goes zero zero for the first. 45 60 minutes and the crowd turns against Mexico you know because Canada they've only scored one goal in the in these first two qualifying games but they haven't given up any goals they're the only team along with Mexico to not give up any goals in the first two games in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying so you, that right there right there tells you they're very organized yeah so I mean it's, it's gonna be up to Osorio to be like hey how do we how do we crack this because Mexico's gonna see this over and over teams bunker down I agree. The The issue with Canada is we all know what Canada is going to bring. We all know they're going to sit back. Uh, they're going to defend. I, I'd be surprised otherwise if they actually try to to propose some sort of game. They'd be happy with two zero zeros uh, at the Azteca and in Vancouver. Uh, but I, I just think that these games are, even if, Mex- even if Mexico draws 0-0 on both of these games, I think that there's there's bigger challenges to come for Mexico. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, this, there's just games where Mexico will have to adapt to, to other situations. I think we we played down the Vancouver uh, setting a bit. Of course, it's going to be tough, but it's one of the better places you want to go to. Um, I, I just think that that will sort of personally, I think that uh, there will be tougher games ahead just because uh, it reflects on this call up again. It, it, if if Mexico were desperate for to get six points out of these two games, I think you you'd see a guy like Carlos Vela here. Like it doesn't matter if he went out to see Chris Brown. Uh, I'm still bringing him in, you know, because he's just such an important part of his team. Uh, I would again try my best to to get Jonathan Santos fit for these two games. Stuff like that. Even a guy yeah. like Hugo Ayala, who who Osorio has has. Proclaim that you know he really rates Uwayala, who just came back from injury and it's not in this call up. He probably try his best to bring a guy like Ayala in uh, because th- these are two must win games for Mexico. But I don't think Osorio sees it that way. I don't see it that way, uh, and that's why I think Mexico should be ready for this challenge and, and they'll get the job done. So I disagree with you a little there. Well, I'm just saying it's like these are the type of teams that you know Mexico is way more talented. Oh, well, but you know what I mean? Like these are the type of teams where. They're not looking to score. They're yeah. just going to play compact. And in the past, I feel like those those teams that are less talented than Mexico, but only want to defend, just they frustrate the hell out of the team. At oh, least, no, at least right. with previous managers. No, you're right. Stylistically, yeah. uh, I think this this is a good test for Osorio. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's not like we're playing USA in a must win game, but like these are the type of games you you want to see what Osorio does to crack the defense. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe I'm just looking forward. I think the hexagonal is 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's Mexico. Fake. Yeah, Mexico can get two ties and if, whatever. People will be freaking out, but it's like you know, for what? example, just advance. I think if if we face Canada again in the hexagonal, then yeah, let's let's take this a little bit more seriously. Yeah, and now let's see what what, but, what I mean, happens. Let's be honest. So Canada's gonna—they're like the favorite to advance in this group. Well, Honduras has struggled. If uh, I think they went ahead and, and beat Honduras and Canada, a very fluky goal actually. Uh, we, you just said that they've they've scored only one goal this yeah. these last two games, and it was a really really fluky goal. It was just a really weird goal to can, to to score. So, uh, but I mean, they have four points out of the yeah. first two games. Yeah, Where El right. Salvador has one and they're minus three, and then Honduras has zero and they're minus three goal difference. So, as Mexico knows, that goal difference comes into effect. Yeah. <laughs> so, All right, well, anything else you want to talk about that team? Any national team? No, I think we uh, look out for Lozano. I think Lozano's. So, I guess let's just make a quick prediction. Who you who you think is starting? I, I can see Lozano and Tecatito starting for the first time together. And I think uh, I personally would be thrilled. I'd be excited for so, I mean, seeing I, I think we're, we're pretty sold that it's going to be Talavera, Aguilar, Moreno, Reyes, Layun. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. And then in the midfield, you're going you're gonna to start Herrera and Guardado and then somebody else. I don't know if I can see Molina starting or I can see Guardado playing that defensive midfielder role like he does with PSV. I can see that happening. Uh, I mean, it's so, just assuming they play a 4 3 3. Yeah. yeah. But. I, don't know. I mean, I, I, Aquino might get a start. He's been playing really well. I don't know. I, I'm just really excited about potential 4 3 3 with Lozano and Tecatito as, as the wingers. That would be amazing. That, that's like the future right there. Speaking of the future, Candido Ramirez. Yeah, Candido Ramirez is, is at it again. Uh, but we know the reasons. He, he's a left-footed player, and and uh, Osorio likes left-footed players. Yeah, that, I'm excited. Like, these two games should be good. Should be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, U23 squad now. Let's move over to that. Oh, man. Any... Snubs, surprises here. I guess my biggest surprise was uh, moving up uh, Pizarro and Lozano up to the senior team. I kind of expected them to stay with the U23 team since they're actually playing games this break. What do you think? Uh, did I lose Rafa? Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm here. Oh, oh. Yeah, so I guess uh, what I was saying is, you know, my, my biggest surprises were is that the, I guess the graduation, so to speak, of uh, Lozano and Pizarro up to the senior team. No, yeah, you're, and you're Pineda, completely... And Pineda. You're completely right. Uh, I think the, these are just guys Osorio really likes, and he wants to see them in a more competitive environment, per se. Um, but... Regardless, uh, this is a really talented team. Uh, this U23 team, again, they have some players missing. It's not just um, the guys we spoke about. Uh, but there are um, the typical guys are there. Raul Lopez, who has had some up and downs as well with this season. But, but we know the potential he has. 
Jordan Silva's there. Salcedo. Uh, I, I think even if we take out Pizarro and uh, Chucky out of the 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 situation, uh, this team will all be all right. They'll be fine. I guess the one big question with this team, who is going to score? <laughs> Who's going to score? Yeah. Kubo uh, Torres hasn't played one minute yet this season. Marco Bueno, his second string, third string probably at yeah, that one. Carlos Fierro is kind of falling off the map again. Yeah, and he's not an out-and-out number nine per se. No, no. Uh, either is, is Saldivar, who, who, if I'm not mistaken, he was even playing as a defender this past weekend for Chivas because Chivas are desperate to score a goal, so they had this guy out on the wing, but I don't know. Uh, it's it's a really good question. I think if there's one position where Mexico might be might be handy, uh, might get in a forward who will come in handy would be a, a the striker position. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, again, we don't know who's going to score the goals. Yeah, and like I was saying, they actually play games this time. They're going to be in Europe, in Portugal. They're going to play Japan. And then they're going to play Portugal a couple days later. So I'm happy they're finally playing some games. Yeah. And the thing about the... Because these two teams are actually in the Olympics as well. And the thing about the Olympics is that we're talking about mostly... Because it's it's not a huge tournament like the World Cup where it's it's 32 teams. These are all teams that, that either came out second or won their respective uh, regions. Yeah. yeah. So this is like the best of the best. So we'll see just how good this Mexico team is against a really good Portugal side. Who I think, if I'm not mistaken, they they either won, they either won it or they finished second for European qualifying and Japan. So it's going to be a really good test for them. Yeah, I mean this this team is just loaded. If they can just get someone to score some goals, that's I mean that's so good. Who do you think yeah. is going to start a goalie? I still think it's going to be Wahoo. Really? Yeah. I still think uh, Porto's going to gonna go with this guy. He's he's not going to change his mind. This is the guy who who he's going to go with. And he, he's captained the team before, right? Wahoo? Yeah. I think it was Salcedo. It might have been Salcedo who was captain the other time around. I'm not sure if Wahoo has done it before. Man, we just, this team is just, it's really good. It is a really good team. And we still got Eric Gutierrez from Pachuca. We, we spoke a little bit how, yeah. how Pizarro and Lozano were, were missing. And don't forget, this team can also add Tacatito, Pizarro, yeah. and Chucky, and uh, Pineda without using an over-23 slot. <laughs> and another player... We can talk about is uh, Gobert, who you seem to be a big fan of. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been since I follow Porto so closely. They Porto does a good job of showing highlights and stats and ratings for their uh, B team, and all signs point to Porto using that buy option on Gobert's loan in the summer from Club America. And yeah, like he plays a deeper midfield role, but he still has a, a few assists. And yeah, I mean, I think this might be his first call up 
since the U20 World Cup or something similar. Yeah, I think you might be right. So, yeah, we were just talking about him the other day. I was saying, why hasn't he got a shot? And, well, here's a shot. Yeah, so just plenty. There's still time. Uh, I think Porto has a really good team uh, to work on, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think the earlier position we spoke about last time there was there was a U23 call up uh, was left by position he he's brought in a he didn't again bring in, he didn't bring in uh, those two Puma players right Van Rankin and uh, no he didn't bring Van Rankin or uh, Escamilla I think it yeah, was yeah yeah Kevin Escamilla uh, and he I mean well Van Rankin I I don't know what what that has to do with uh, he's sort of been a he sort of lost it at Pumas these past few few months, uh, but Escamilla was never a starter at Pumas. Uh, but again, this maybe this is just Porto trying out new new players because I, I'm sure Espericueta was in there in these past few calls uh, on these last few camps. There were not actually uh, games where they were being played. It was just small camps. I think Espericueta was missing, and now Espericueta's back. So Porto was just just observing his. His players trying to find the the right mix mix of talent and chemistry and try to get this team ready for for the Olympics. So uh, I wouldn't make a big deal about it if if a player is missing or, oh, or no. if a player is there. Uh, Potter at the end of the day is the guy who, who's in charge and and I think we can trust him that that he'll build a, a really good team. And uh, one important thing to keep in mind is if Mexico uses their three overage slots. Out of all of these players, they're only going to bring 15 of them, because you can only you only bring 18 or 19 yeah. players to the Olympics, and I'm assuming Mexico, like everyone else, is going to use three players for the overage. So that means these guys are going to get cut down. Yeah. So. Somebody's going to going to be disappointed. I mean, and who who was one of the last guys left off last time? Was it uh, Pulido? I don't remember. I think Pulido was one of the last cuts for the Olympic team, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, you don't know until that last call-up in May who's, who's making the Olympics. Well, let's not forget, actually, bringing that up, uh, a guy who was playing really, really well during that time was actually another Pumas midfielder, David Cabrera. And he was just shining with the U23. And then he picked up that injury. He was out for six months. He, he completely missed the Olympics, of course. Uh and in his shadow, uh, do you remember the guy who, who stepped up? No. It was Hector Herrera. Oh. So Hector Herrera came in and look at Hector Herrera now. <laughs> That's, you got to be ready. You never know with these call-ups. Huh? Like I think we talked about this uh, last time we did a podcast about Guardado. He was on the fringe of the, the World Cup squad. Yeah. One injury to Chapel. Kind of move things around, and next thing you know, for that was captain. Exactly. So, this is exactly what this is the manager's job, basically. Yeah. Uh, this is what he's in charge of. Uh, again, it's it, it's Porter's job to yeah to to make the best out of this team, to find the right players, find the right right mix of guys that that will bring the gold medal back to Mexico. So, there's still. What if three months or so? I think four months, maybe, uh, for the Olympics. I'm not sure when the list should be out. I think the list is like the last day in May, I believe. And 
do we know do you know when the draw is? I think the draw for for the groups might be it, it has to be at least it has to be like in May or April because USA plays the USA U23s play uh, Colombia over the next couple of weeks for the last spot. Yeah, so we can get a better idea of who Mexico is going to play. Yeah. Because like, that will be super important. There's some really good teams in that tournament. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of those teams are the best in their region. Exactly. I'm excited for these guys. It should be. I'm just glad they're playing games. I was a little disappointed they weren't playing games. They just had little camps the last two, two, two call-ups. Or I guess yeah. two call-ups. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it should be two good games against Japan and Portugal. Hopefully, I can find some illegal streams. We'll see. <laughs> Moving on to Champions League, Europa League. They finally just went through this last week. Um, PSV and Bayer Leverkusen go down in slightly different capacities. Bayer was losing to VRL going into the second leg 2-0 and PSV kept Atletico Madrid scoreless through 210 minutes and then suffered heartbreak in the penalties. Did you see, happen to catch that game, Rafa? Oh, yeah, I catched I catched the PSV game. I caught the PSV game, excuse me. Um I think they they were as impressive as they can be. I think they tried their best. Uh, I think they played a, a great game. It, it, I'm not a, a big, huge fan of Atletico Madrid. Uh, I think well, Chelsea Simone in general. I, I admire the guy. I think he's he's a great manager. I just don't agree with a lot of the way aspects uh, or a lot, the way he he sees the game. He, he I guess he's more on the defensive side of things, of course. He's the manager who just loves guys that run back and forth and play, you know, 200% on the field. Uh, but I, I'm just not a big fan of it. And if if you tell me that PSV came out with with a line five because that's what they did, they, uh, on paper it looks very defensive. But I think when, when you're a small budget team like PSV uh, playing against the mighty Atletico Madrid, uh, that's the kind of stuff you have to do to give yourself a chance because at the end of the day, P- Atletico Madrid is still a very good team. Uh, with that said, PSV were great. I think they had plenty of chances to win it during the uh, the 100... Uh, oh, what is it? The two span of two games. Yeah. Well, like um, uh, that one sequence where they hit the post and then the PSV guy hit it and then it was cleared off the line. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but, I mean... Atletico Madrid still deserved it. it. I think they did that little bit more than, than PSV, but that's not taking away that PSV played a great a great series. Uh, and on another day, they would have been in the quarterfinals. Uh, we're talking about the Mexican players. Hector Moreno was, again, he was phenomenal. Uh, Andres Guardado, I think, looked a bit shaky at times. I think the first leg, he, he was phenomenal. In the, in the second leg, he looked a bit shaky, but then uh, he's just recovered and was the Andres Guardado we all know uh, he's uh, both Moreno and Guardado scored penalties so that was noteworthy as well uh, Moreno who <laughs> I never thought he never knew he took penalties but his penalty was ex- exquisite it was right on the corner uh, it was as perfect as it can be uh, but it, it, it was heartbreaking to be honest it was tough man I, I thought they were going to get through it, it would have been quite a statement and I think 
again, I think Cholo Simeone didn't look at it that way. Uh, he took out, a, I think, arguably the better, the one of the better players on the field, if not the best player on the field. He took him off for Fernando Torres, uh, which is Agustin Fernandez, uh, young Argentine, well, not very young, but an Argentine midfielder who's actually uh, with the Argentine national team now, I think. But he was arguably, I think, the best player on the field, uh, quietly, you know, that that quiet defensive midfielder role. He, he was just playing great. But I think Cholo saw that his team was struggling, and he took him out and put in a striker like Doris, and that absolutely backfired for him. I think PSV then had it, had their chances to win it, but they just couldn't do it. And afterwards, in extra time, it's just tired legs prevail, and I think Atletico Madrid were the more fit of the team. And again, penalties is just the lottery, and it happened. And PSV's goalie was just, he was he was arguably one of the man, men of the match that game, too. You're right. The goalkeeper was great as well. But, man, just penalty kicks, you never know. It's a roulette. But, yeah, you're not joking about PSV being a, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they're the big Dutch club. Well, just because you're the big Dutch club doesn't mean you're a big club at all. I think uh, Atletico Madrid sold Jackson Martinez for what, like 42 million, 42 million euros to China. I'm pretty sure that is worth that. That move alone is worth more than what a uh, PSV paid for their starting eleven that game. Yeah, and let's not forget PSV actually lost two of their key players this offseason as well. So it's a remarkable achievement to even make it that far of your PSV. Yeah, so that's going to be a fun team to watch. I think because they're a young team. They're very young. I think Guardado is one of the oldest players on the team. And they got a big game this this weekend uh, against Ajax for the yeah. top of the league table. Pretty much. Whoever wins this is arguably going to win the league. Yeah. So that's good. Um, not good. Bayer Leverkusen. They're just... I watched a lot of Bayer Leverkusen and just... I don't even know who they're playing at the time. They're just putting bodies out there. Well, I actually caught the game today against against Villarreal, and gotta give credit where credit is due. Uh, Villarreal are a really good team. Uh, they, for me, I think. Uh, again, I spoke to you a little bit off camera or off podcast, uh, uh, and I told you that uh, between Bayer Leverkusen and Villarreal were my two teams to to win the tournament. Uh, because they just had such a distinct style, so uh, solid in their style. You have a team like Bayer Leverkusen, who is very attacking, who likes to come out the back and, and play the game, and, and then you have a team like Villarreal, which is a little bit more of the opposite. They're very defensive. They're sturdy. Uh, they don't mind getting getting dirty, you know, just sitting back and, and going on the counter. Uh, and um, it was unfortunate for Bayer Leverkusen that, that these two teams had to play each other at this instant because I think they, they were the two better teams in the Europa League remaining. But Villarreal are a really, really good team. Uh, they, they're just perfect defensively. They're, they're as solid as you can be. And even today where, where Bayer Leverkusen was, was forced to score two goals to get back into a series, uh, they just couldn't find it. Villarreal were, were just so organized, so solid at the back that Bayer Leverkusen just couldn't find anything. Uh, but now they have to get the job done in the, in the league. That's the, uh, 
that's the only thing they have left if they want Europe next season. And like you said, they, they, they've been struggling these past few weeks. They've been struggling. I, I, I don't want to be too hard on them because I'm, I'm serious. For the last two months, I don't think I've watched a Bayer game where a player doesn't get subbed off injured. Yeah, they've been struggling with injuries. You're completely correct. Uh, a lot of these guys, uh, it's not easy. I think a lot of times you, you hear people say, oh, you know, uh, why is it that Mexican teams struggle? Why, why are they resting people? Why can't they play three games a week like, like people in Europe? No, people in Europe play three games a week and half their team is injured after a few months. It's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen, I think, has fallen victim to that. They're also a very attack-minded team and technical team. Yeah, technical teams tend, tend to suffer uh, with more injuries. Uh, that at one point their defensive line was just all makeshift defenders. Yeah. <laughs> they had guys who were you know fullbacks playing as center backs, but uh, it's just a reality. I think I think uh, I think I can compare it as an Arsenal fan. I was I gonna say you're an Arsenal fan, so you should to Arsenal. So. Maybe the, this will help Bayer Leverkusen. Maybe this, this period of stability where they only have the Bundesliga to worry about uh, will mean that they can push forward towards a Champions League spot because they've dropped some points now uh, and teams have caught up and they've pushed forward. Uh, I think Ber- Hertha Berlin it, it may be one of the teams who are now in a Champions League position. Yep. They Hertha. Okay, let's just go through the rank- standings real quick. Bayer, number one, 66. Dortmund, number two, 61. Hertha, 45. Mönchengladbach, 42. Schalke, 41. Mainz, 40. And then Bayer at 39. So, yeah. I mean, one game, they're back in fourth place, you know? Yeah, it's, it's that close in Germany. I think that's that's where the action is happening right now. And uh, at the bottom of the table, Frankfurt is... 16th so right now they're in the relegation playoffs so they wouldn't be automatically relegated but they would be in a playoff to stay up and they have 24 points and then the next team below has 24 and then the last place team has 17 so it's real tight in the bottom too yeah it's it's gonna be close it's exciting to see how the mexicans end up just how their season ends with the bundesliga uh, I still think I personally still think that Milo doesn't have enough for a Champions League spot. They have enough, but do they have enough healthy players? Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll see. Still time. Oh, there's, yeah, there's still time. There's still time. Um, we kind of touched on VRL. Um, I think uh, Jonah should be getting back at the end of the month after the Mexico Canada game, but I've I've heard no setbacks, so I think he's he's still set to come in back. At the end and of this month for Villarreal. And he should play a big part. He's been a big part. He's played. Yeah, he's, he's already been a big part. And he should play a big part in his up, uh, upcoming games. I can't say enough just how how impressed I am with Villarreal uh, in terms of how they defend and how they play. Uh, it's not the most exciting style of play, but they got the job done. Uh, and I think they're, for me, they're, they're one of the favorites. Uh, to win the whole thing, but I think they're they're also taking care of business in the league as well. I think we spoke a little bit about that uh, a few weeks ago in the other podcast. So, yeah, it's a good team. They they have a good manager. They have uh, a good set of young players. They, they make the best out of it. Um, so for them, 
I think they'll probably have Europe. They'll most likely have yeah. have Europe They're next fourth season. Place right now. Yeah. So even Champions League, if possible. Yeah. So it's looking good. I mean, they're they're in fourth place with fifty three points, and then Sevilla's in fifth with forty eight. So they got a little bit of a cushion there. Yeah. All credit to them. They're they're a really good team. And uh, finally, Benfica. They're through to the quarterfinals. Oh, well, they they sort of caught Zenit by surprise there yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, was it two weeks or so, actually? It was, it was weird. They, uh, it was, actually, they played them like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. They were, and then they, they were part of their first wave of games. Yeah, and they I don't know. Uh, well, first off, let's talk about how in the league, in the Premier League, they, they, they've been great. They, they're at the top of the league table, if I'm not mistaken. They, they beat uh, Porto, they beat, uh, Sporting, excuse me. Uh, and, you know, they're playing well. They're, they, they look back on top. They look like they want the league title for, what is it, the fourth straight season or something like that. But they're a good team in the league. I thought against Zenit, they looked second best, but uh, that's how the game works. I think Raul Jimenez was the catalyst a bit. Uh, he, he launched that that, that shot from distance. That was so close to being the yeah. goal of the tournament. Yeah, it, it would have been a phenomenal goal. Uh, Gaitan picked up the rebound and knocked it home, and that was it for Zenit. Yeah, Benfica is number one with 64 points. Sporting, number two with 62. And then Porto, number three with 58. And one thing, Benfica, Benfica has 70 goals this season. And they've only given up 18. If, I, if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't think Benfica's a really good team. I mean, they're, they're an okay team. And the fact that they went went up against Sporting at Sporting in their own stadium and defeated them and then went to Zenit and then progressed to the quarterfinals is just absolutely impressive. I, uh, I can't really imp- – I can't really – I don't have words for that, to be honest. I think because their I, manager is very pragmatic. Yeah, you know, you're right. They're not – Again, they're like VRL. They're not a very and they have Jonas attacking team. Yeah. And speaking a little bit more about the forward situation, Raul Jimenez has not played a lot, though. Well, that goes in line with what I was saying. He's very pragmatic. He he will literally play the hot hand because early in the season, Mitroglou was he had like four or five goals in the first month. He kept playing Mitroglou. Jimenez got hot. He played Jimenez for like two months straight, like every single game. And then Mitra Glue is scoring a couple goals, and now he's back to Mitra Glue. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd like to see Raul Jimenez get more more playing time. We'll, we'll know tomorrow in the draw who Benfica get. We expect it's it's going to get a lot tougher tougher from now on for Benfica. Yeah, but they they've proven through so far. Yeah. I don't know how, but they've done it. All right, let's go back to Mexico real quick because we could we'll probably end up doing a whole episode on this later on, but. What is going on at Chivas? <laughs> uh, a lot is going on. Uh, no, uh, I, I think uh, I go back to, to the very first podcast I did with you guys uh, where you asked me the same question. I think it was right at the beginning of the season where you asked me uh, what's going to happen with Chivas. And I said, uh, the fundamental thing here is how Matias Almeida handles this. Uh, what kind of Almeida we'll see because when we spot, when we talk about a guy like Almeida, we talk about a guy who, who's coming from the Argentine league, who who's a guy who 
who's used to a different kind of league where uh, there is no playoffs, where you, know, you have to to get results, you have to get points if you want to finish uh, in a Copa Libertadores position, or if you want to win the title, if that's doable, you want to get points, you want to win games. Now, that sort of reflects a little bit of what we saw in Chivas. The first few weeks, few weeks, they were just a high-pressure team. They, they were going forward. They were attacking. They weren't getting results, but uh, this looked like a team that, that that wanted to win games. Now, all of a sudden, teams were like, "Well, we we already know what to expect of Chivas," and teams started started paying attention to that. And all of a sudden, we start we start seeing Chivas drop points because, uh, you know, just one breakaway from X team and blah blah blah, it ends in a one-one draw. Or there's a corner kick and you know that's all it takes and then Chivas drop drop points again. They they let go another lead. Uh, and that was just a story for Chivas. Uh, and I think that that has a lot to do with with Matias Almeida because uh, again Almeida is used to this different style where every game is a must win uh, in Argentina because you need to get points. Uh, there are no teams who who are willing to play for the draw. There are no teams who who will just sit back and you know, just let the go the game go by and just hope that that one chance you put it away. Uh, I think it was a mixture of Almeida still not knowing enough about how to play in this league uh, and Chivas just being unlucky. You know, because let's be honest, uh, there were games where Chivas had to win and they just magically found ways to drop points. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I'll say one thing. If they had a good striker, we would not be having this conversation. No, well, there there is uh, that as well. Uh, I agree, uh, but I put more more in the focus of, of Matias Almeida. I think he's still adapting. Uh, I think later on, I think it might have been week four or five, where Chivas just, I think it was that game against Morelia, where they lost their first game. Yeah. Where Chivas just, they were like, okay, we're we're gonna stop this high pressure, that all out attack style that really tired us out after sixty minutes anyway. Uh, and let's just play a, a more structured game. Uh, that's not to say that they haven't played really good in, in these past few weeks, but they sort of toned it down. I think Matias Almeida has toned it down a bit. He needs to realize that in this league, if you're going up against, you know, let's give you an example of going up against Querétaro, who we know they beat, but in another, you know, six months ago or so, Querétaro, who's a teacher, would have been completely happy with a 0 0 or a 1 1. They really don't care if, if they beat Chivas. They know that Chivas is a very technical team. They like to go forward. So uh, they'd be happy with a 0-0 or a 1-1 as long as it, it gives you a chance to stay in a top eight position. Uh, Matias Almeida needs to get used to that. I mean, he already has more than six months uh, on the job. So he he really needs to adapt to that in a more consistent basis where uh, he can find ways to, to sort of find that equilibrium uh, whether it's not this Chivas that just goes crazy on attack and then gets killed in the counter, to a team that is doesn't look like the team that looked uh, that looked against Morelia, where, where they lost in in, in that their first game of the season. So uh, that's one issue. Again, you you brought up the the striker position, which I think they should, without a doubt, address this this off season or this summer, I should say. I mean, didn't they give him a two year extension in December? <laughs> I, I don't know, but all I know is that. The, the board is completely on with keeping him at, I mean at least for for, for the end of the season we'll, we'll see Almeida yeah I don't know man I just I, I watch a lot of Chivas games because they're always on TV 
because I want to see because I thought Gullet Gullet what happened to Gullet man is he having the same issue that Konohito had where we're all hyped up he moves the Chivas and then Ghost well it's a different style I think it's a different philosophy he needs to adapt to a different setting well, we all saw that that episode where he put a he broke he put up a, some tears leaving for for Chivas and he got a lot of criticism for that that was uh, that was a weird conference <laughs> So, I'm guessing it's not easy as a player to, to move to a new environment, new team. Uh, but at the same time, it, it doesn't help that the law of Chivas is just these endless crosses from, from the wings. It's Sometimes you think that Chivas doesn't know that they have midfielders who can actually push forward. Or that their striker's and, like 5'8". Yeah. <laughs> no, um... And that's why we sort of seen a goalie come off the bench these past three games or so. Because I think Matias Almeida understands that this is a really good option to to just tell the team, hey, you know, there's more to the game than just sending crosses from the wings. Uh, we got a guy like Gullit who can just tank his way through, through the middle of the field. Uh, I think we saw that a bit against Club America this past week where he scored that goal. It was more towards a combination through the middle rather than just somebody sending a random cross. Uh, towards the middle where my rival really isn't doing anything like you just mentioned. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I think Golet will need to to grow into his role. Maybe we'll see him come off the bench these, these next few weeks. I don't know if he, he'll win the starting position again. But he's going to have to learn to adapt. Uh, I think he, he'll need to grow along with this team because, again, at the, at the end of the day, it's still a project that that Chivas believe in. If you, if we see what, what Jorge Vergara and everybody else uh, is saying, they, they want this guy to stick around at least for the end of the season. Uh, I'm talking about Almeida. Uh, and uh, Goles, you're going to have to live with it. I mean, and let's be honest, though. If Dorados weren't so terrible, we might be having a different conversation. Yeah, Chivas would be in crisis right now. Chivas would be in crisis. If but but you know they got the cushion. That's what I've been saying this whole time. They they need to get their style right this season because it's a free season. It's free. They're not going down. Dorados well, would have to win eighty percent of their games for Chivas to go down. They're still halfway the season left, so <laughs> I wouldn't count. Well, uh, to be honest, I, I completely count them out. But you just never know. There was Querétaro. Remember that Querétaro yeah. was a teach. They they went on a crazy run. And, Hey, that's La Liga for you. Yeah, and then they made the Liga and made the final. So, all right. Well, let's wrap this up with a couple questions real quick. Um, we have Eduardo from New York asking, "Do you think Juan Carlos Osorio would enforce or quote unquote emphasize our young players and veterans to go towards Europe and avoid MLS?" Absolutely. Well, I think he wouldn't. Well, I don't know if he would say it publicly because he's already well, he said some. He's not, not Jurgen Klinsmann. Well, he's but he's already said some. Yeah. Some negative things, but I think for for the well being of, of players, we even I think most players understand that. Yeah. That Europe is where you you grow as a player. Yeah. I guess uh, adding on to that question is, do you think Gio will ever be called up to El Tri again? I say I think, yes. I think he will, but he's been awful. <laughs> well, I, I think it says a lot of the program that 
because I remember years ago when Vela was at that Arsenal club, you know, yeah. and he would never play, and you know, Gio was up there with him in Tottenham, and he would never play, and they were automatic call-ups each time. You know, yeah. I think it says a lot about the program that hey, we have more options. You know, but even so, if they don't play that. Even when they go on training route on a day to day basis, they're going up against really good players. So I know, but but you know what I mean. Like before, it was like, oh, we have this guy; he has to play. We have no one else. Now it's like, hey, we have options. It's, yeah, I think it's you're nice. Right. It's nice. You're right, there's depth now. But with Giovanni Santos, as somebody who follows the Galaxy on a day to day basis, it's just I don't know. He's just been awful. He's, he's been awful. really really bad. He's been awful, and I think the move to MLS, it's not like. When he was when he was at Villarreal, he can be okay. He can have so so games, but he'd be like, yeah. "Hey, he's having so so games in Europe, where he's in MLS. He can't have so so games. He has to do really well in MLS to justify being called up." Yeah, and there's no excuses. Uh, I mean, the Galaxy style doesn't really help him either because they need uh, to get so, rid of Gerard. Jesus Christ. Well, <laughs> Gerard is is one reason, but. I think a lot of the attack is emphasized around a guy like Robbie Keane, and rightfully so, because to me he's still the best in, in MLS. He's, he's cruising as a Bentley, man. He's, yeah, he's just a phenomenal player. Um, so it doesn't really help him then. He's going on a team where a lot of quote-unquote a lot of people think is, is not a very good team. Or, good league. <laughs> or a very good league, let's say. Uh, and then he's not even the focal point of uh, of the team because there's a guy like Robbie Keane or, or you know, Steven Gerrard who, who are, who Bruce will rather give the team to, uh, let them run the team, I, I should say. So it doesn't even help Giovanni Santos out in that sense. Uh, but even so, he, he's just been so below par. He, I mean, yeah. it's it's been carried over. You know, when I first saw him in preseason, I thought, well, you know what, it's preseason, he's coming back from injury, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's leave it at that, but uh, I know he came off injured in the first game, but he was just not very good even before that. Uh, he's probably going to miss this upcoming weekend, like we said, but he just needs to pick it up. Yeah, I mean, he has no excuse because there's a guy uh, called Sebastian Leggett, which is in the same situation, and he's playing amazing for the Galaxy. Yeah. He's not the focal point of an att- of the team's attack yet. He makes a difference, and it's amazing a guy like Giovanni Santos can't. So he has no excuse. Uh, but that said, I still think he has enough for uh, to show his potential and potentially get called up again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. The, I'm not shutting the book on him either. Yeah. So. Uh, um, I guess final question: Who's this memo guy playing for Malaga? Let's, let's start with him. I don't know. Uh, he has nice hair, though. Yeah, it's come. See, the hair came back. The playing yeah. time came back. Maybe that's that's a sign right there. Yeah, I liked how as soon as he came back, everywhere all Malaga was tweeting about was memo, memo. They kept tweeting videos of him, him warming up. <laughs> I heard somewhere that he's also put on some weight, like not fat, but you know, muscle. Yeah. So maybe that that helps him out a bit. I mean, when you're just sitting on the bench. <laughs> Gotta hit the weights. Gotta hit the weights. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rafa. Anything you want to touch on before we take off? I'm yeah, just really looking forward for towards these these Mexico games we spoke about earlier in the podcast. Just again, uh, my dream is a, is of a Irving Lozano and Tecatito forward lineup along with Chicharito. That's that's a dream right there. 
So maybe we'll get to see it, maybe not, but I'm just tuning in. We'll see. I know, I'm excited. I'm excited for these two games. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. And then uh, Copa America's coming up. Man, it's gonna be a good summer of soccer. Yeah. Alright, Rafa, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on MexicanFoot.com on Twitter. Um, you're probably well. I'm completely missing this Pumas game going on right now, but. Uh, I usually keep people updated on everything that's going on, all the games going on, and uh, you know, write write about the Mexican soccer. And um, yeah, you can find me at underscore bones or at the colorful kit. And just to keep everyone in the loop, I think Chivas or I think Pumas are winning their game. <laughs> yeah, they're winning four one right now. <laughs> so that's a really good result if if you go for Pumas. Do you think they're going to make any noise in Copa Libertadores? It really all depends. I think if it depends on who they face on the next, well, assuming they make the next round, they're on a really good path towards getting there. But it's, you know, it, Mexican teams just set, tend to just crash out, lose all sorts of concentration once they get to, to a knockout phase and they just completely lose it. Just it doesn't matter if it's Bolivar or Boca Juniors, they sort of just lose it and get eliminated. So let, I'm hoping that doesn't happen with Pumas this time around. Of course, there's Tigres, who, who did a great job last season. Um, but we'll see. There's little Toluca, who's doing well. Good old Toluca. They're doing horribly in the league. Eh? So bad, but... There's Libertadores. Yeah. <laughs> What's Liga MX? As long as you get into Liga, you're fine. Well, and they can lose every single game from now on, and they won't get relegated, so... <laughs> That's true. So they can just... Put all resources on Copa Libertadores if they want. All right, well, that's been uh, episode 14 of the Copa Cup Podcast. Thanks for listening. Golazo!